So we've been talking a lot about the kingdom of God, and maybe to you that sounds sort of foreign, maybe seems like a fairy tale, but maybe I'll just make it simple for a moment. If you've experienced any of Christ's peace in your life, if you've experienced any of Christ's purpose in your life, if you've experienced any of Christ's joy in your life, then you're experiencing God's kingdom. Because where Jesus brings peace, where Jesus brings you purpose, where Jesus brings you joy, that's where his kingdom is. And if there are parts of your life that you don't have peace, you don't have purpose, you don't have joy, those are areas where you can invite the king and say to him, your kingdom come, bring me peace, your will be done. As it is being done in heaven, bring that here, start in my heart, start where I walk, start where I live. Bring your kingdom, God. We want you to reign here and wherever we walk and whatever we touch until you come back and make all things right. We've also been talking about kingdom money. And I know people go, man, I don't like talking about money in church, right? This is why I don't like organized religion. They always talk about money. But, but process this. If the Bible teaches about money and if Jesus talks about money and if I avoid the topic of money, then I can get thrown in jail for pastoral malpractice, right? Because this is what the Bible teaches. These are topics that come up in the scriptures, and so we're going to talk about them. We're going to teach them here. And what we're learning is that all of us, by default, see ourselves as owners. We see ourselves as owners of our money. We see ourselves as builders of our own kingdom. We see ourselves as independent from God, and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we are money managers, not owners, with the role of investing in God's kingdom. Because if I own my money and I build my kingdom, when I die, what happens then? What happens to my personal kingdom, my personal wealth, my personal whatever, when I die? God's kingdom is the only lasting kingdom. God's purposes, God's peace, God's joy, these are the things that last forever. And so this is a major change for many of us to think about. For us to think that it's not my money, it's yours, God. It's not my kingdom, it's yours, God. That shift is a major, major shift that God wants to make in our hearts as we ask Him, as we seek Him. And as we see money as His money, and investing in His purposes, that's where we discover this lasting peace and lasting joy and lasting purpose. That, that's what we all want. Don't, want. don't you want more peace and more purpose and more joy? So let me get really practical. Get your hands out for a moment. No, no, don't take your money out. Just get your hands out, right? Just get your hands out for a moment. You got them out. I'm going to ask you a question. Ready? How many of you want more money in your savings account? You're a little slow. How many of you want more money in your savings account? Raise your hand, right? Who doesn't want more except for the dope in the back row that just want to scratch off lottery? He's like, I got enough, right? But you know, who doesn't like look at your money and you go, wow, I, I really have all I need, right? And I, I really don't need a cent more. Who says that? Nobody. All right, get your hands out. Are you ready? How many of you want less debt? Anybody, right? Except again, the dope in the back row, I pay for everything in cash. Everything I was a little kid, I just pay for it in cash. You're a unicorn. The rest of us have borrowed money. We've borrowed money and we've gotten ourselves stuck in 
debt. And so most of us would raise our hand and go, I want less debt in my life. I want to save more money, and I want less debt. You know, the Bible talks about this stuff. So why wouldn't we talk about it? The Bible teaches about these things. So let's open up our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 21. And I want to teach you what the Bible says about money, saving money, and about debt. Proverbs is found in the Old Testament. If you find the book of Psalms, you'll find Proverbs. And Proverbs is this interesting book written primarily by a guy named Solomon. They're kind of like little bite-sized truths that are hyper-practical that if we dig in and look at and spend some time with, we'll learn something that will help us in thinking about money. Solomon is described in the Bible as the wisest and the wealthiest king whoever lived. So when he writes something about money, it might be worth our investment of time. He says in Proverbs 21:20, bite-sized little truth, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. What what jumps out at you here? Solomon is making a comparison between two things. He says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, and the fools gulp theirs down, right? He's comparing two types of decision-making, wise and foolish. Think about this in regards to money. I mean, there's wise ways we can handle money and foolish ways we can handle money. And so, so Solomon's giving us this choice to think about wisdom and folly. Look again, he says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise person stores up, the foolish person gulps down. He's using a food metaphor, choice food and olive oil, In his culture, these things would be prized possessions, very valuable, precious, less common, even rare. And he's saying the wise person looks at his valuable food, looks at her valuable food and stores it up, while the foolish person looks at their valuable pool food and gulps it down. So so think about these two people having dinner together, the foolish person and the wise person. The wise person, when they go to the restaurant, if they're following what Solomon says, food gets set down in front of them, they take out their napkin, put it on, their silverware, and they just start cutting up the delightful food, little bites at a time, mmm, scrumptious, mmm. And then they take a little bit of the chicken and the food and they push it off to the side, doggy bag please, and they separate three leaves of lettuce and a little hunk of chicken and they take it home, right? That's the wise person that Solomon is talking about. But the fool, when the food's put down in front of him, no silverware, home. Just inhale it and then I'm, I'm going to lick the plate clean, right? That's how some of you eat. I've seen it, right? And so he's saying there's this wise way and there's this foolish way and Solomon's teaching us something about money. The wise person stores. The foolish person consumes. Does it mean that the wise person never consumes? Of course not. Does it mean the fool never stores? Of course not. But he's trying to diagnose our hearts. He's giving wisdom to us about our hearts 
connecting our hearts to our appetites. The wise person sees valuable resources as limited and worth preserving, where the foolish person is consumed by their appetite. They see the valuable resources as something to be consumed now without giving a thought about what might happen in the future. Think about this in regards to money, right? The wise person, we might say, saves for a rainy day. And the foolish person, money burns a hole in their pocket, right? They can't spend it fast enough. The foolish person lives with no margin. Everything they get is consumed. And and why is this foolish, right? Let's ask the question, why is that bad? Why is that wrong? Why is that foolish? Because they never consider the fact of what might happen tomorrow. That life can change so fast that you have something today and tomorrow it may be gone. But the foolish person just ignores that and just consumes as fast as they can whatever they have. And when you eat really fast, it might taste good going down, but then what happens to your stomach? And when you consume a lot of material things, man, you might have some really nice clothes, some hot technology, some great things, but when the tires need to be replaced on your car and you can't pay for it, what do you do then? What happens then? Solomon is encouraging us that there's great wisdom in looking at what you have and storing some of it away and not gulping everything down. And for some of us, this is exciting. You're like, oh, I love to save. I love saving money. And I love that the preacher's telling me to save money. I love this. But there's also a danger in saving money, right? There's wisdom, but there's also a danger. Here it is. In Luke chapter 12, I dropped this in your app. There's a parable that Jesus speaks. It's the parable of the rich fool. There's a parable of someone who is rich which means they save, and they're foolish. So here's how it goes. There's a guy, and his mom and dad die, and he comes up to Jesus and goes, hey, uh, my brother won't share with me the inheritance that my parents left. Tell my brother to share, Jesus. And Jesus speaks this parable, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And then he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Jesus is adding another layer to his teaching on savings. Yeah, foolish people consume everything they've got. A wise person saves But wisdom is not hoarding. Wisdom is saving money, but it's not hoarding money. There's a difference. Have you ever watched those hoarding shows? Or have you ever interacted or been over a hoarding house? I've got 500 trains in my bedroom. Have you been those? Those kinds of people are weird, 
right? Hoarding people, people that hoard stuff, there's something not right. What about people that hoard financially? We kind of look at them and go, oh, they're wise. I'm telling you, they're weird. If you have so much and you don't share with anyone else, something is wrong with you. You see, you don't, as a Christ follower, see that everything that's been entrusted to you is a gift from God to be invested in His kingdom, and you hoard your money. You see, there's an unwise, foolish, frankly, ungodly level of saving. When you hoard your money and it's all for you, that's called greed. And greed is also a sin. Gulping down your food is called gluttony, and that's a sin. Greed, hoarding, holding on to, keeping it all for you is also a sin. And here's why. There's a danger in hoarding money. When my hope is found in my savings account. You don't need God. If you pull up your bank statements and you study your investments and you're looking at all your money and going, man, I'm good. I got enough. I'm safe. I'm secure. I got everything going for me. I can just kick back and enjoy life. There's a danger there that you don't need God. You got your bank account and everything's good for you. And Jesus is warning He's warning in this parable, hey, don't feel so secure because when you feel so secure in your finances, your God is your money, not the Almighty who controls all things. He warns that those who see resources as all for them and consuming it all for them, that money becomes your God. So wisdom says, yes, save money, put something away. But there's a line between put something away and hoarding. It's put something away and remember that everything you have is a gift from God. And so when you save, it's also to be invested into the kingdom of God, not just for your comfort and your convenience. There's a wisdom there of saving but not hoarding and using your money to invest in God's purposes. I want to give you one other proverb, Proverbs 22.7. Put this in your app as well. It's practical advice about money, so appropriate for our common day. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. In Solomon's time, this was a literal truth. If you had to borrow money... You could sell yourself to someone to pay off that debt, and once you worked off the debt, you were free. It's kind of like in our day where you might go, oh, I forgot my wallet after you ate a nice omelet at the diner. Well, you got to come back here and wash dishes, right, and work it off. And that's what Solomon is teaching, that if you don't have money and you borrow money, then the person that you borrow from, in some ways, that person owns you. So, so think of it this way. If you buy a car that's beyond what your ability to pay, if you buy a house that's just way too big for what you can spend money on, the bank owns you, doesn't it? And you feel that. Or you use your credit card and you just swipe, 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 swipe. The credit card company owns you. And you feel like you're a slave to that debt. Solomon is teaching, warning. That there's a way that money, loans, debt, can own you. 
And feeling owned by anyone is an incredibly terrible feeling, isn't it? Except the Bible teaches that Jesus owns his children. Like Jesus owns us. Check out this verse in 1 Corinthians. It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. What does this mean? I mean, this is stuff we talk about. This is Jesus. Jesus looks at our lives and he sees that Joe's a sinner and Joe's messed up and Joe's broken. And Jesus comes to planet earth and gives his life so that I could live. He pays the price of my sin on the cross so that I could be freed and granted an eternal inheritance with God forever. Jesus paid so I could live. And now he's the king and I'm his servant. He's the king and I'm his servant and he gives me so much. He's forgiven me and he grants me life and breath and he promises me an inheritance that will never fade and he tells me I'll give you everything you need and then I sell out to a bank and spend more money than I have and now I'm owned by the king of kings but I've sold out to a bank and I'm in debt up to my ears to a credit card company because I spent too much I mean, this doesn't mean there's not a place for borrowing. The Bible teaches that there's place and wisdom in borrowing and there's good debt management, but when debt dominates my life, I struggle to be led by God. When I'm so in debt that I'm anxious about how I'm gonna pay my bills, when I've spent so much more than I actually have and the bank has more in me than I have, then I am anxious I'm afraid, I feel ashamed, and when I'm anxious and afraid and feel ashamed, it's hard to hear and follow God. It's really hard. But where if I didn't owe so much money and I didn't waste so much energy worrying how I'm gonna pay the bank back, then I'm so much more free to hear God's voice and follow His lead. There's a danger of being owned by debt. And I've told you this before, but. I just have never been good with mo managing money. It doesn't matter if I have $10 or $100. I've never been good with understanding float and I've always struggled with spending more money than I have and I've racked up debt in my life on my credit card. And I never wanted to be someone that was mastered by money. I never pursued a career because I wanted to make money. I never wanted to be mastered by it, but money becomes your master when you hoard it and when you spend too much. Money isn't just the master of someone who has a lot of money and pursuing a lot of money. No, hoarding money makes money your master, not God. Not having enough money saved for a rainy day makes money your master, not God. Spending above your means makes money your master, not God. Having too much debt makes money your master, not God. So let's kill this notion that it's only those who are seeking after more money that are mastered by it. All of us in different ways likely struggle somehow with money. Either we fixate on having too much, hoard it, or we spend more than we have instead of realizing Jesus owns me. I'm his son, you're his daughter, and I'm not to be mastered or owned by anything or anyone but him. But we struggle, don't we? To use the resources God's given us to advance his kingdom and not ours. So here's just one simple practical thing I'd recommend. 
And it's going to take a lot of courage. But if you struggle with this, it's time to open your finances up to a kingdom money coach. It's time to be vulnerable enough to say, I'm going to show someone my finances and get help. Oftentimes we think only wealthy people need a financial advisor. Guess what? Those of us who are stuck in cycles of debt, we need a financial advisor too. Someone that's going to help us, coach us, encourage us. You know, I think for me this past year, the greatest source of encouragement has been getting to a point where the shame of being in debt and the hardship and the anxiety of it has been so bad that I'm like, I'll do anything to get help. And I found a coach where I opened up my finances and I said to this woman, here, look at this. Can you help me? And she's helped me. And it's been great. And I can say to you, I have more money in savings and less money in debt than I've ever had in my life. And it feels great, but it took humility and vulnerability and a willingness to follow someone's coaching because what I do hasn't worked. Maybe it's time for you to do that same thing, to look for a kingdom money manager. And notice that I said, or kingdom money coach, notice I said kingdom money coach because, you know, somebody might be able to help you financially get out of debt or to save more, but if they don't know about Jesus and don't care about his kingdom, then you might just build up more money for your kingdom, and that's not the point. So I have this woman that's helped me, but I also have a really good Christian friend that I've opened up my finances to and said, look, and he's helping me to have a perspective of God's kingdom when I look at money. It takes vulnerability, but if you're willing to get out of it or you want to get out of this cycle, you can. And if you're unwilling to show anybody your financial records, it's probably because you're ashamed of something or because you think you're the king of something. If you need help, you ask for it, whether it's help because you're hoarding too much, help because you're spending too much. Get some coaching, get some advice, and if you go, man, I'm not sure where to even start, that's why we offer Financial Peace University here. It's a class that happens every once in a while. Look online for that. It's a great start. Here's one other little practical piece of advice. Did you know that it's November? It's November. Welcome to November. And at the end of November, what do we do? We celebrate by spending a ton of money on Black Friday after we eat a lot of turkey. And we're thankful, 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 and then we spend a ton of money, right? So maybe this November, it starts now, we could just be grateful. Maybe the best way to see our kingdom money is to start with gratitude for all that we have. Maybe we shouldn't wait for Thanksgiving, but now start looking at our closets and saying, I don't really need another pair of shoes start looking at our refrigerators and go, I don't really need to stock up more at Costco. I have enough and I'm going to use what I have. Maybe you're going to look at your finances and go, you know what, I'm really grateful for all that I have. It could be better, but it could be worse. I'm going to be grateful. Maybe you start looking at your finances and going, man, I've hoarded so much and I'm so grateful to God that I want to be generous this November and be giving more away. Next week, we're going to talk more about what it looks like to be content and grateful, but maybe November should be a place of gratitude for us, for all that this great King has given us in Christ. Would you pray with me? God, if we could see what you see, if we could see that your kingdom lasts forever and you have an inheritance for us, that you're loving and kind 
and you have a huge storehouse of more peace and more purpose and more joy, that everything we could want comes from your hand, then maybe we would see your kingdom and see ourselves as managers, not owners, see ourselves as investors into your kingdom, not our kingdom. Maybe that would help us to save for a rainy day and not gulp down everything we have. Maybe that would help us not to hoard, but to be generous. Only you can change us. So we come to you and we ask you to change us, to make us grateful, to give us thanksgiving. Would you help us to be vulnerable? There's some in this place today that are desperate in need of financial coaching, but they're too proud to ask for help. Would you break through that pride? Give them the ability to ask for help and take coaching and change. You can do this, God. So help us. We trust you. We need you. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.